Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Kong. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee. I was born in Mumbai. Yeah. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Hear bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today, we hear the voice of Vassel Matsyuk, a Yale Divinity student. He grew up in the fully democratic Ukraine, only to see it ravaged by a war with Russia that began last February. The Russian conflict, which is heading into its second year, has long roots. Under the previous Soviet regime, Vassel's parents and grandparents had endured years of religious discrimination as Protestants. Now a student in theology, Vassell turns to religious teachings as he grapples with trying to understand the violence in the Ukraine, a country which he has only known as peaceful and free. Deegan Larkin has the story, which starts with Vassell's years living in a free Ukraine. I was born in a, a a smaller town in western Ukraine, Ternopil. I was born there. I lived there till until the age of twelve, when my family um, immigrated to the United States. So I have a pretty decent image, you know, collection of images in my head from my childhood and from the trips that we took there. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful city with, you know, a lake in the center and, you know, a lot of older buildings and just beautiful little city. I would say that it was a comfortable life. One of the things that I think important to talk about is that my generation of Ukrainians, we have no memory of what Soviet Union was like. I was born in 1990. Um Ukraine became independent shortly after. That is, that Soviet Union fell apart shortly after. And so we have absolutely no memory of what it was like. All we know is an independent Ukraine. And that's that's what we grew up in. And so my parents, on the other hand, you know, they have memories of what it was like for them growing up in Soviet Union. My parents, they were Protestant. So, and and the state was... Um, it was an atheist state, so they were they would uh, be questioned by the principals whether or not they, their parents took them to church on Sunday. So there was a lot of conflict, and there was a lot of like persecution uh, that they experienced. Um, just being in school, growing, uh, going to school, going to public school, none of which I experienced. I didn't experience any of that because. When Ukraine became independent, all of that religious persecution stopped, and there was actually a lot of religious freedom. And for my grandparents, it was even worse because they grew up even in, in, even in much more um, difficult times where the government was even more authoritarian. Uh, for example, my, my, my grandpa, my mom's dad, he... His whole family was deported to Siberia. Their whole family was deported to Siberia just because 
his um, brother um, was suspected of being in the part uh, in the Partizane, which is basically you know a rebel rebel movement. So his brother was suspected of being part of the of the underground re rebellion against the Soviet government. And so they took the whole family, they loaded them up into just like, you know, a cattle um, train and deported them into Siberia, where they basically stayed until my uh, grandpa's dad passed away. And then as Soviet Union was becoming a little bit more, less totalitarian, they were able to make their way back to Ukraine from Siberia. So my grandparents, like what my grandparents lived through was even worse than what my parents lived through growing up. And as a Protestants, they were subjected to, you know, being questioned by the principals, being questioned by KGB, like about like what you did on Sunday. Did you go to a church gathering on Sunday? For them, baptism had to be done like in secret. So they would, you know, a lot of Ukrainian Protestants, they would do it in the middle of the night in somewhere at a lake or even maybe in a bathtub. So like it had to be very uh, kept on a very secret, like just kept from government finding out because if if the government found out about you being religious, and this is something like my grandparents have experienced, like their employment opportunities would have been cut, limit, made limited. They wouldn't be able to rise in the hierarchy of, you know, of job opportunities. They would have to be just kind of stuck working their factory job somewhere because the moment you're, you, you have a record of being religious, that and, and and that means and that also means that you're not a member of the communist party right because usually that was the alternative it's like if you're religious you don't become a member of the communist party and if you're a member of a communist party then you have a lot more opportunities so because they weren't they were definitely marginalized in many respects and they didn't have the same opportunities in terms of you know employment uh, as others who were members of the communist party so a lot of it had to be done in secret. So my grandparents, they have very vivid memories of, you know, house gatherings, small house gatherings, um, even like, like I said, sometimes in the woods, sometimes in people's apartments, everything had to be done uh, very secretively. All of that, when I was growing up, I didn't know any of it because all of that stopped with you with Ukraine become becoming independent from Soviet Union, people were free to practice their faith publicly, and they were there. They were free to gather. The transition in the country was thrilling for a nation that had suffered so much under invading forces. In the 1930s, the Great Famine, known as Holodomor, was engineered by Joseph Stalin to crush Ukraine's independence. It killed more than 3 million people. Not long after, Ukraine suffered the hardships of Nazi occupation in World War II. Finally, in 1991, the Ukrainian people embraced new-found freedoms when the country declared independence. With the atheist chokehold imposed by the Soviet Union loosened, Vassell's father became a minister. 
He rented a theater to hold services, practicing their Protestant faith openly as a minority religion among Eastern Orthodox and Catholics. I did not, I did not feel any sense of discrimination. While life was good in Ukraine, his mother's parents, who had been subject to so much persecution under the Soviet regime, wanted a stronger economic foundation and access to better health care as they aged. They decided to join Vassell's aunt, who had immigrated to the U.S. Soon, Vassell's family decided to follow. My parents were, like, fairly sad about, well, because they had, they built their life there. You know, my dad was working at a church. They had all all of their family, not family, but all of their friends were in Ukraine. So they were fairly sad about having to, about leaving and moving to United States. I think the main reason is that, I think there was like, there was a sense of like, well, we have this opportunity to go to US and there's a lot more like economic opportunities in the United States. There was like some sense of like, that it's going to be, for our best, economically speaking, to do so. We weren't poor, but we weren't rich. We're kind of like, I mean, if you think about even here in in the United States, the line between poverty and middle class is a very fine line. It also largely depends on where you live. If you live in a big city or if you live out in the country, it's, you know, sometimes the line is like, like, for example, in the city of Seattle, years ago, you had to make, what, $70,000 as a household in order to be a, a, a middle class, right? That's that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. And so that, it is a very fine line. And so uh, we we had enough, but we also we also knew that there was, like, we were limited in our choices and in, in flexibility. To emigrate to the U.S., the family had to travel to Moscow, to the U.S. Embassy, and explain to authorities about the religious persecution they had faced under the Soviet Union. They were granted refugee status, and in 2002, when Vassell was a teenager, they moved to the U.S. He says the move wasn't super dramatic. Other than not knowing a stitch of English, he was accepted at school. Having arrived just months after 9-11, Vassell wonders whether he would have been treated differently if he wasn't white and European. Well, we never, you know, we never had any trouble. Unfortunately, the truth is, is that, you know, a whiteness has a role to play when, when we talk about those kind of questions and those kind of issues. So, yeah, there's definitely, even, even for immigrants, there's privilege that... Um, comes with being white. Vassell, a teenager at the time, was placed in ESL classes in school and picked up English quickly. A small but growing Ukrainian community and Ukrainian church in the Seattle area brought comfort. Vassell's father took a job in construction and his mother found work in a dental lab. Eventually, his parents were able to secure a mortgage and buy a house. When people live 
outside of the U.S., they, um, I think often they don't realize how hard you have to work here to make a living because when, you know, they watch Hollywood movies and TV shows and they don't, they, they think that it's like fairly easy to make a living here and it's not. You actually have to work really hard to make a living in the United States. But if you can make a living, you can live a fairly comfortable life in comparison to, to um, people in other parts of the world. So it's, it's, it's really interesting in that sense because, yeah, like you have to work your butt off. You have to work quite hard to, to, to be middle class in the United States. My story of immigration to the United States is really not extraordinary. It's really not. It's a very, very basic story. Just coming here because my parents, grandparents were here and making our life here because there are great economic opportunities here. It's, it's really very basic and simple story. But the truth is, is that I want to live in the world where people don't necessarily have to come to the United States for the economic opportunities because they have those economic opportunities in their own hometown. And I just, I wish that it was a lot easier for people to, to make those leaps and to come to other countries and not to not have all of these like barriers and difficulties for them. I think when I was in high school, I was definitely like, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to go get a business degree and I'm going to go work somewhere like corporate, become a CEO, right? That's like shooting for the stars, something like of that nature. After college, Vassell worked in real estate and the corporate world. He married a childhood sweetheart he met in the U.S. His wife, Luda, was also from Ukraine. They bought a house and settled in to the American dream, career, family, and prosperity. But something was tugging at him, his religious roots. This led to another big move with his wife, to the East Coast to pursue a master's in theology at Yale. I think a lot, a lot of it has to do with growing up in, the fam- in the, that environment and just uh, well, constantly being surrounded by theological ideas and constantly asking theological questions. And um, I mean, it always changes. It always evolves, you know, always changes and it always evolves. Like if you want to really get into uh, understanding like what arguments there are for the existence of God to kind of thinking through philosophical questions and responding responding to those and then getting into the nitty gritty of Christian theology and Christian doctrine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much interested in the synthesis of theology and ethics and how that, how those ideas and beliefs reveal themselves and manifest themselves in the life people live and how that affects what, you know, their choices. Faith, for, for my parents and for me, it's a very big part of our life. It's, it's a very important part of our life. It does help me and my parents, like, in terms of, like, guidance, because it gives you some sense that there's something greater than 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 you in the world and that there is more to life than physical things and that there's something greater in life.
Through the years, Vassell kept a close eye on Ukraine. He was there for a visit when the country's fourth president, Viktor Yanukovych, was removed from office. This became known as the pro-Western Euromaidan and the Revolution of Dignity in 2014. Yanukovych had rejected an agreement with the European Union. Instead, he pursued closer ties with Russia, which led to deadly protests in Kyiv's Independence Square and Yanukovych fleeing to exile in Russia. The, the atmosphere was just so electric, almost like you could feel that you could feel the tension in the air because everyone was just kind of like waiting to see how how the political games were going to play themselves out. And when Yanukovych reversed the course towards Russia a- against the popular sentiment, against what people wanted, that that was when protest, protests began. So it was very, very tense at that time. And that grew into a revolution. And he ended up getting ousted and he ended up running away. And and then Ukraine elected a different president and things were getting better. Uh, but there was a war. There was a war uh, in the east of Ukraine uh, with the, basically Russia set up their proxies in Donetsk and Luhansk. And so, and that war, you know, escalated uh, or grew into what you have today. Last February, after the closing ceremonies of the Olympics, an event that symbolizes a united world, Fassel's family hoped that Putin's threats to invade Ukraine were a bluff. But Russia's military rolled towards Ukraine as soon as the Olympic flames were extinguished. This was the second act to Putin's invasion of Crimea, which also came at the end of an Olympics, this one held in Russia in 2014. The Crimean invasion was Putin's retribution for the revolution of dignity. We were very, very worried and scared for our friends and family in Ukraine. We were very worried for Ukraine as, as, a, as a country that is independent. And we were hoping till the last moment that it was just all a big, um, you know, a big bluff. Uh, so we, we didn't know what to expect. And when it did happen, we were, we were heartbroken. It's been hard for the family and Vassell to get on with life here in the U.S. with the continued suffering over there. At first, he watched every last detail of what was going on, but exhausted and despondent, with his life's demands pressing in on him, he had to figure out a way to cope. I don't have the energy to follow every single, every single detail um, all day long. I, I, I really don't have... I I was doing that in the first month of the war, and that was just not healthy for me mentally. I was falling behind in my schoolwork. So it's definitely, definitely like none of us human people have the capacity to pay attention to the every, to every single detail of the war. But unfortunately, the, the nightmare of this war, it's still happening. Like the, there's so many innocent people still dying till this day. It hasn't stopped. People like in malls are being, their life is being cut short because a Russian missile hits their um, apartment or 
people at, in the middle of a market. So like these horrendous um, crime, war crimes are still happening. And um, I realized that like, in order to stay sane, we really need to be able to kind of like um, distance ourselves to some degree from, from what is happening. But I would also like, would want to still keep reminding people that it's nothing well like you know things have changed on the battlefield but the this war is, is still costing ukraine a lot of innocent lives so we i think it's important that americans would continue to support ukraine in this war that we wouldn't be getting tired of supporting ukraine because really it's a fight for democracy and if like and if we as america truly value democracy and we we value you know liberty then um i think we need to continue supporting you support ukraine in any way we can whether it's you know keep encouraging our senators and our elected officials to keep supporting ukraine or in other ways you can contribute to you know humanitarian aid that goes to ukraine yeah i think all of that helps and we just got to keep doing it in spite of how difficult it may be. But there is no respite from the divinity questions at the cross-section of war and religion and morality. As Vassell grapples with questions of God and ethics and peace and humanity inside the classroom at divinity school, he watches the news in horror. Russian missiles falling across the country, blowing up buildings and malls and towns and cutting off the electric grid, sending the country into darkness, families and children thrown into famine, and hundreds of thousands killed, with evidence of war atrocities in communities across a country he only knew as free. I'm definitely very much interested in the ethical questions around around the war. Um, questions of like violence and questions of just war what is a just war and i i believe christianity is very much a non-violent religion uh there's certainly in his you know in the, in the history there's been some very horrendous acts of violence that has been justified by religion nevertheless i think at its root and if you look at the person of uh, jesus christ and his death on the cross, it's very much a subversion of violence and the culture of violence. And so how do we, how can we fight for a democracy and, and liberty of people while like also being against violence? Like there's a very difficult theological and philosophical questions there. But those are really important questions to ask and to think through because ultimately, you know, ultimately, in order for justice to reign, we need to fight for our neighbors. Uh, we can't just, you know, let an enemy kill and pillage innocent people. I, I believe and I hope that this war will come to an end and Ukraine will end up winning this war. And I hope that that I can in some way, you know, help rebuild Ukraine. I don't know what, what that might look like, but I, ho I hope that we will be able to do that soon. 
Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story, a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced by Fran Silverman, with audio editing by Todd Bays. The original interview was conducted by Fran Silverman at the New Haven Public Library, which has graciously provided space for our podcast work. Our executive producer is the ever-affable Sankaraman. And this episode is made possible by a generous contribution from the Marie Lamfrom Charitable Foundation. For more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash many roads. Listen live at prp.fm or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.